Welcome to the Brown County Hour. Coming to you from the legendary hills of Brown, where the plum purple haze, the one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers, inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers. It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana. Sit for a spell and hear the music. Tall tales. True stories. And current goings on. Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter. And swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 133 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrom. And Sarah Lytle, along with the rest of the crew. This month we produce two shows, one for the fun drive, and the other that's the full one-hour version you're hearing now. We don't have a musical guest in the conventional sense this month, but as a tie-in with Jeff Tryon's essay, we'll be featuring three tunes from his brother Tim Tryon. We also have a conversation with Lorna Reichman, about the Peaceful Valley Group and what they've been up to. We're also featuring two of our favorite pieces from the archives by Hank Swain, Jim Lemon, and Chuck Wills. We'll also share a poem from Pam Rader and essays from Jim Eagleman, Dave Seastrom, and yours truly, Sarah Lytle. Segment one begins with Jeff Tryon's essay, Awkward Moments. Lorna Reichman gives us the lowdown on what's going on with Peaceful Valley, and our old friend Hank Swain shares a tall tale about Salt Creek running backwards. We'll close with the Tim Tryon tune, Science Fact. When I was in my 30s, my brother had a kick-ass psychedelic rock band called Stone Road, and at the beginning of each set, I would open by reciting one of my little philosophical poems. Recently, my sister-in-law handed me a copy of the poems which I had given her at the time, a slim booklet entitled Awkward Moments, and it sparked many fond memories, and I wondered if anyone else would be interested in this hippie dog girl from the 1990s. Our freedom is constrained by the chemicals in our brains. What we perceive to us is real. We're captives of the things we feel. So don't you give up on this friend who's lost in sadness or taken with a passing madness. He may be running hard from those inner apparitions, trying the only way he knows to fulfill his higher ambitions, so often lost in good intentions. Our lives are tightly bordered by the things which we believe our universe well-ordered with ideas that can deceive. All along I've drawn the line where the line was always drawn. The chance to dance across that line leaves me freedom dreaming in the dawn, singing, won't you come along? Someday we'll all cast off those chains, created and locked from within our brains. These poems were written to be performed live at the opening of the rock show with the band playing one of their weird, moody, psychedelic voids in the background. In half-light, where our dreams are dreamed and half-plans laid, the world was made in half-light. At dawn and dusk of knowing minds, where real and unreal meet, 
when cause has just been left behind and fancy follows on at dusk and dawn. Celestial music, fantastic singing of the spheres, it's fairly ringing in our ears, but we haven't heard a thing. So let us now together sing. The mind remembers everything in half-light. And so we have begun in half-light. And so we shall be done in half-light. Between our infancy and age, in both our loneliness and rage, within the half-light of our hearts burn ideas of truth and art. Let's get them out. Let's make a start. Let's get the sight in half-light. This band, which performed original songs written primarily by my brother Tim, had a whole philosophy, a uh, we're creating reality with our minds kind of thing, so a lot of the poems were philosophical in nature. Always poised in the eternal moment between the trackless past and eternity, we learn to ride the wave of now, take today to be what we want to be. Now is the time to make that change. Release your magic. Take control of your game. Stick in the knife. Don't blink and miss. The time is now. It always is. Try to soak in every second. Don't tell yourself that you don't care. Dance to the drumbeat of the eternal moment. Remind yourself to be aware. Don't waste your time replaying the past or anticipating what you can't prevent. The point to apply your personal power is always in the present moment. Now is the time to take the chance. This dance will never come again. Don't space it out, lost in a trance. The time is always now, my friend. Now, my favorite of these poems was inspired by a car wreck that I was in and the fact that I was taking care of my aging father at the time. It's great to be alive. Another chance to shoulder the load. To assault the summit once again. Another mile along the road. Another day to be alive. Just to be alive. Every watch that's wound must eventually run down. The steady movement, day to day, eventually ticks its time away. The crystal pulse, a distant sound. The ticking timepiece, round and round. A child's first step. A brush with death. The ruins of men at threescore ten. It's great to be alive, to walk away without a scratch after watching them cart so many dead away. The frozen world spun in my windshield and death smiled, but still alive, still alive. Ever notice how life's changing all the time? Time's tides carry us along, another try across the line, another chorus in the song. Before too long, you turn around you flew your dreams into the sound. You scattered all the seeds you found. You climbed the peak. You took the dive. Still alive. Still alive. A dying man, he struggles still. He drags his failing skeleton around, just fighting for another breath. Another meal he can't digest. Unable to accept his death. Unable to survive. Hey, it's great to be alive. Hi, I'm Pam Rader, and I'm here with Lorna Reichman this evening. And hi, Lorna. Hello there. 
And we're going to discuss a project that the Peaceful Valley Heritage Society has in store for the county. Yes, I'm, a, I'm the secretary for Peaceful Valley Heritage, and we have been doing our um, annual Brown County Youth Arts Contest for three years. Um, we started it in 2021, right when COVID hit. And uh, I think at that time, everybody wanted to get out and have something to do because it was a grand success. We had it at the art gallery and it was wonderful. And then the second year we did it at the Brown County uh, History Center and we decided to continue to do that since our uh, mission statements are kind of in line. And so this year we're doing it again and um, it will be in April. The deadline is April 7th. The art exhibit will be um, April 10th through April 16th. And there will be a reception um, for the winners. Before we get into a few more particulars, the Peaceful Valley Heritage is kind of about celebrating our heritage as Brown County. Mm -hmm. And they've done a lot of work collecting historical plaques. Yes. And they have various other projects, correct? Correct, yes. Mm. Um, well, the, for the art contest, um, it kind of started because we were doing a marker um, honoring Brown County art, Artist Colony. And um, we, wanted to, we wanted to educate the people who live in Brown County how important art has been to our community. And um, we knew that it's hard to get children interested in history. And to do that, we thought, well, why not do a contest? Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of art contests in our county, but not many that actually just do um, do it for our kids. So that's what's special about this contest is it's only for our Brown County youth from kindergarten to high school senior. And is it any medium of art? Yeah, it's any medium. The kids can, there's no restrictions. They can do whatever they want. They can do anime. They can do felt work. They can do clay. Uh, we do ask, though, because last year was there was a little incident with some clay that whatever they do make that is able to be moved without getting broken. <laughs> we do not want that to happen again. Mm-hmm. And they could do watercolors, oil, oh, whatever. We, we want to see mm-hmm. it all. We want to see whatever moves that the child, um, whatever they want to do, we want to have them mm-hmm. let that inspiration take them. So the pieces have to be in by April 7th, mm-hmm. and is there a website, a phone number, something that someone could contact? Who? Yeah, we've got peacefulvalleyheritage at gmail.com. I did send out flyers through Parent Square, which is through the school system. The flyer was also put up on Facebook, and we're sending it out through the community. Um, We'll probably put it in the paper as well, and that will have a lot of the information there, too. Okay. Well, we look forward to the big reception, and thank you for pushing the arts in our county. Well, we just love it. The day Salt Creek flowed backward. The years 1811 to 13 saw violent earthquakes along the Mississippi River centered near New Madrid, now known as the New Madrid Fault. The territory at that time was sparsely populated, so the damage then was minor when compared to what it would have been today. There were accounts for a short time that the quake caused the Mississippi to flow backwards. 
1972 article in the Brown County Democrat newspapers refers to a similar reverse stream flow on Salt Creek here in Brown County. The new highway to Columbus was under construction and the farms supporting the two new arched bridges were in place two miles east of Nashville. The earthquake that day was only a point four on the Richter, but it was enough to collapse the scaffolding on the bridge construction. Now this created a temporary dam causing the water to back up Salt Creek for a short time before the stream pressure broke through the clogs restoring the flow. But the damage from this temporary backflow of the stream was minimal, but the psychological effect upon the Brown County residents proved to be far more extensive than might have been anticipated. As the stream began to reverse its flow, it loosened all the junk thrown into it and pushed it up over the riverbank, depositing it there. And the farmers who had been using the creek as a self-flushing dump site began to see all of their former deposits return to them. Farmer Tyson Milo, who had been one of the worst offenders because of his extensive acreage along the stream above the bridges, anything of heavy weight that he had discarded into the stream began to surface back on his fields along the riverbank. It began to look like a salvage yard. There was his 1960 Chevy pickup truck two old water heaters, a big tractor tire, old corn planter, even a 1934 tractor, and the old kitchen wood stove range, metal hog feeders, an old cultipacker, smooth field, no longer used by any farmer, horse-drawn field mower, threshing machine that was used to harvest the oats and wheat, and almost any horse-drawn machinery that was made extinct by tractor-driven tools. Well, the Brown County Democrat newspaper took pictures of the sorry mess and the whole county began to reassess its relationship with its streams. A community conscience seemed to surface and with it a belief that the county was experiencing a kind of a retribution for having used Salt Creek in such an abusive manner. Community leaders felt pressure to take action and to make amends. The recycling center was built, and schools promoted the long-term savings from recycling, and the children in turn persuaded some doubtful parents to join the cleanup of our county. The Chamber of Commerce created a project to voluntarily clean up a long stretch of Salt Creek so that canoes and kayaks had a debris-free eight-mile float. The Visitors Bureau promoted the annual kayak race, which brought new influx of tourists interested in the outdoor sports activities. The popular mountain bike trail in the Brown County State Park already had a reputation as one of the best in the nation, and some of the riders of the trail were also river sports enthusiasts and helped promote the kayak race. Little did residents know how great an economic benefit would come from the earthquake that caused Salt Creek to flow backwards. One of the local residents, upon reflecting on the incident, suggested we should memorialize it annually as the day Brown County turned green.
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on volunteer-powered community radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. Support for WFHB comes from Our Brown County, a magazine for locals and visitors featuring art, entertainment, and county characters since 1995. Printed six times a year and available online. More at OurBrownCounty.com. Segment two kicks off with a Jim Eagleman essay, Climate Change and Ecosystems. We've pulled a piece from our archives that features Jim Lemon, Chuck Wills, and Sashquash. Pam Rader shares her spring poem and will close with the Tim Tryon tune, Zero Defects. My appreciation of nature has to be because of the variety of seasons where we live. I've often heard friends say basically the same thing. They wouldn't want to live in a climate that is pretty much the same all year round. They prefer to live where the seasons change. It's the variety of these seasons and what they bring, how things change, that creates the interest for many of us. Living where the 12 months include the four seasons is surely to produce a variety of events right outside our window. Going to where the climate suits my clothes, an old Woody Guthrie lyric makes me think he was a fair weather fan and he could probably do without the four seasons. Fluctuating temperatures, sometimes to extremes throughout the world, control environments. We call this the climate. Plants and animals respond and react to climates. The plant world can be interesting to watch when blooming and seed production occurs. Animals migrate, search for food, breed, and rear young, and many nature lovers travel long distances to witness animal migrations. And because the world's climates are constantly subject to change, more recently documented than ever, what we even recall from our lifetimes, noticeable changes among plants and animals are occurring right here in our own county. Some of these changes may take us time to realize. Others are more subtle and less noticeable. And as suspected, birds and plants can be good indicators of change. Some birder friends who feed regularly are remarking they're seeing more house sparrows than they used to. I've talked here before about this aggressive alien species. Introduced into New York's Central Park in the mid-1800s, these birds usually live in cityscapes and closely built buildings. They build messy nests and soffit and building trim, but have been making their presence known recently in more rural and wooded areas. One study claims it may be due to the destruction of soil food base with an increased use of herbicides, fungicides, and insecticides. These chemicals can result in a decline of healthy soil flora and fauna, whether it's in urban yards or in hayfields. This Midwestern study from a local university points to an overall decline of ground insects, earthworms, and spiders when clean farming became a trend. Also, the green lawn look many desire, the change happened. With a lack of weed fields that remained dormant for a year or longer, the natural food supply for insect-eating birds declined when production increased. Competition for food increased among these insect-eating birds, and some moved into new locations. Other dispersed to new ranges. The seed 
waste grain, and weedy debris that remained was suitable for the house sparrow. You may have heard bluebird enthusiasts removing house sparrow nesting debris from boxes. This is a common practice, and it's part of the annual maintenance for bluebird trails. You will know a house sparrow has moved in with lots of grass protrudes from the hole of the nest box. More aggressive than the timid bluebird, and certainly not suffering from any population decline, the house sparrow will always be with us. And now it's extended this range into what was originally marginal habitat, and it has shown its increase. Another noticeable change has been happening with exotic plants. Those aggressive, non-native shrubs, trees, and plants that you've heard about, most communities are aware of this threat and have organized to combat their advance. Our own Brown County Native Woodlands Project has joined in the battle. These alien plants continue to be a threat to native plant communities where they compete for space. But now research indicates exotic plants can actually change soil chemistry, making it more acceptable to foreign insects, foreign nematodes, and foreign earthworms. Like the plants themselves, these foreign soil creatures have also been introduced over time, changing natural soil and plant habitats that can't operate like they did under normal conditions. The change beneath our feet, as it's been labeled, means unseen is unheeded, and we're confronted with possibly significant changes, more now, to our natural environments. How well these changes to natural ecosystems are monitored and watched, documenting changes so we learn what's happening, means we are aware and we step in and try where needed. You want to do your share to help remove alien plants and restore native communities? You're in luck. The Brown County Native Woodland Project schedules weed wrangle days. Their work days, when the most recent one was at the Salt Creek Trail next to the Brown County YMCA. Workers wore long pants, sturdy shoes, and gloves, brought gloves and water. The morning jobs normally is to cut and treat invasive automotive, multiflora rose, calgary pear, and ornamental bittersweet. If you are unclear what these plants look like, so you can treat them on your own property, that's another reason to join with this great group of volunteers. Jim Eagleman for another segment of Nature Ramblings for the Brown County Hour. Welcome to our new segment, Squatch Talk. Squatch Talk. I'm your host, Chuck Wills, introducing our newest contributor, Sasquatch. You may remember him from our social distancing interview last month. The big guy was a real pro behind the mic and a pretty interesting guy. So we've invited callers to join us for a little Bigfoot Q&A. Hey, thank you, Chuck. This is amazing. I've always wanted to be in radio. I know I've got the voice, but this face, not so much. A little scary for TV news. I'd like to welcome our first caller, Ed from Nawbone. Um, yeah, uh, hey man, have I seen you around Brown County like, off and on for like, you know, a long time, man? I'll take, I'll take my answer off the air, thank you. Well, I lived in the Needmore Commune in 1976, that was a great year. Followed some very cool people there to help build a yurt, whatever the heck that was. I knew it sounded like yogurt, but one syllable. Everybody accepted me as somebody they thought they recognized from Woodstock. No one could remember my name, Sasquatch. So they just called me Harry Scott. Very weird. Okay, next caller we have is Estelle, calling in from Helmsburg. Go ahead, Estelle. Um, yes, hello, this is Estelle, and I frequently take the Brown County Democrat newspaper 
And weren't you in the sheriff's blotter section of the Democrat roughly ten years ago? There was a report of a Bigfoot wandering through Helmsburg, I believe wearing a plaid shirt. Sir, was that you? Yeah, I remember that. I got a lot of flack for that, too. I got locked out of the laundromat there in town, and all I had on was my lumberjack plaid shirt. Sure enough, there's a local trying to snap a photo. I'm just trying to preserve a little dignity and wash up. And here comes Karen with a camera. Seriously, people, give a guy a break. So I did what I do best. I disappeared. Right back into the woods. Don't think I didn't stalk Karen's house for a few weeks after that. Oh, and another thing. Why do people always think the big, unexplained figure in the woods is me? I mean, I'm not the only mythical legend around here. Mistaken identity can really take a toll on your self-image after, I don't know, the hundredth time. Remember, folks, it's not always Squatch. You may be seeing the Wolfman, Mothman, or even whatever a Chupacabra is. That guy, for crying out loud. Yeah, Squatch. Brown County's full of paranormal sightings. We shouldn't be so quick to judge. But our next caller is Troy from Bloomington. Uh, hey, uh, thank you. This is Troy, um, first time caller. Uh, I, I like to camp quite a bit. And was that you back in 1992 that was throwing rocks at my tent in the Deem Wilderness area? I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you. Thank you. Well, was it you that decided to camp out in my backyard in 1992? Look, pal. Don't crap in my backyard, and I won't crap in yours. Okay, next caller. Okay, our last caller is Sharon from the Bean Blossom Metropolitan area. Okay, uh, go ahead, Sharon. Oh, the, thank you so very much for having me on. Um, I saw someone very tall hanging out around my chicken coops last week. I wasn't sure if it was you or maybe uh, a werewolf. I mean, his hair was perfect and all, but... Dang, he was tall. And, uh, now I'm short of you chickens, too. So, help a lady out, Mr. Sasquatch. Was it you? Caller, I'm not overly proud of this. I'm nomadic and live off the land, right? I'm resourceful. And for me, sometimes, the line blurs between a crime of opportunity and a crime of passion. I get to eat lots of stuff around here, venison, pawpaws, beets, sick beets, if you will. But my true love is chicken. I just can't resist it. Once back in 82, I may or may not have knocked over a KFC down in Louisville. I didn't touch the money. I just loaded up with as many family-sized buckets as I could carry. I've tried 12-step programs, self-help books. Nothing helps. I love chicken. I love chicken so much. Honestly, I hold you partially responsible because you raised delicious chickens and you made the coop so accessible. It's like you were daring me to come and get them. And guess what? I did. I'm always up for that challenge. Gosh, I love chicken. All right. Thanks, Squatch. That's all the time we have today. Thank you for joining us on Squatch Talk. If you have any questions for the big guy, please email them in to studio at browncountyhour.com. Squatch Talk. This is Pam Rader with a poem for you. This poem was recorded on March 1st, 2023, a 78 degree day. 
It's entitled, Spring Returns. Gleefully greeting days that lengthen with bright yellow smiles, daffodils delight in sunshine, their long slumber over, soil now a warm embrace. The sun moves north, setting in the notch. Energy returns and sap rises. Hope dusts off shelved dreams and possibilities. The green shoots that grace budding bushes promise a fruitful future. Can we and will we? Yes, the answer is always yes. Slumbered sounds newly awoken stir primal memories of belonging. Cranes and geese soar overhead, very verbal communal travelers, sharing song and the lead. Frogs and peepers sing in chorused anticipation, a roar in lowland swales, each night a lake concert announcing the courtship. A female cardinal pecks at the window, defending a nearby nest. Bright red partner stands guard, skies filled with feathered friends whose calls announce their visits. Warm gusts accompany high winds, whooshing stale air from the woods. Expended limbs litter the trail, whitecaps dance on the lake, greater forces are at work. It's spring again, new blossoms surprise and entrance. They ensure no two alike. A world refreshed awakens, nature in all her glory delights. We, grateful recipients, here to witness and praise, come round to our senses again, all the while carried along on the river of time. This is Chris Curtin with a poem called Places. We're good at getting places, and we're good at getting away from places, but know little about being in place. In most places, there is no place, only in between spaces where you feel out of place in your assigned space, but comfort yourself momentarily while hunting for a hiding place, seeking a safe place to protect your inner space, Fill your empty places. Seek the irreplaceable commonplace. In any case, cover all the bases and go through your paces, leaving no trace on your face when they put you in your place as you move from place to place to new wide-open spaces as the walls of your own making close in upon you and you accommodate yourself to your final resting place.
Now we pause for station identification. You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Powered Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at WFHB.org. Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at browncountyinn.com. Our final segment begins with a continuation of Sarah Lytle's series, Coming to Your Senses, called What You See is What You Get. Dave Seastrom reflects on the importance of supporting WFHB and we'll close the show with Tim Tryon's tune, Just For You. Greetings. This is part five in Coming to Our Senses. What you see is what you get. The eyes have it. They're the windows of the world. But what world? The one that is there or the one you perceive is there? Seeing as we think of it doesn't happen in the eye, but in the brain. Neurologist Oliver Sacks wrote a book about his patients that had an array of experiences due to disturbances in perception and the visual cortex. In The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat, Dr. P was a patient with the Mr. Magoo syndrome. Mr. Magoo was a cartoon character who would tip his hat and say, Good day to light posts and grandfather clocks, assuming they were people. Dr. P, at a dinner party preparing to leave, grabbed his wife's head, assuming it was his hat on the back of the couch. Like Magoo, Dr. P was considered eccentric, absent-minded, and a bit daffy. But he was an accomplished musician and teacher, having no problems with written words or music. He navigated his 3D world not through visual perception, but through visual memory, topography, and imagination. Mrs. S. suffered a stroke. She could only see things on the right and lost the concept of left. Not able to turn left, she'd walk a circle until where she needed to be was on the right. She ate only from the right side of her plate and learned to apply makeup by using a video feed of her face where the right and the left sides were reversed. For these people, the problems were not with the organs of sight. The eyes functioned normally. We also see what isn't there. The brain fills in gaps and provides what is usual, familiar, especially when reading. If words are missing or out of context, we will often do our own subconscious autocorrect, which is why a good proofreader should be well paid. For some laughs, Google headline mishaps or the mental floss post 14 typos in first editions. Eagle pose in yoga is an exercise and not just balance, but vision. It is a lesson in seeing through or around obstacles. You can do it right now in your chair. Try it. Put your palms together at eye level with your elbows bent at a 90 degree. Now cross them at the wrist so the back of one hand meets the back of the other. Focus on your hands. Then relax your gaze 
and your eagle eyes will see right through the hands before your face. Now bring your focus back to your hands. You've just worked your eyes' rubbery, bean-shaped crystalline lens. It thins to focus on a distant object, thickens to focus on a near one. Another good eye exercise involves the iris as it expands and contracts that small hole, the pupil, allowing light to enter. Eye cupping is healing and relaxing to the eyes that have been at the computer, TV, phone, screen, or driving. Rub your hands together rapidly to create friction. Now cover your face like in peekaboo. Heels of the hands at your cheekbones, fingers on your forehead. Cup them a little. Open your eyes to this dark cave of warm energy you have created. And give a moment, just resting your eyes in the darkness as your pupils dilate. Then gradually allow more light in as you open your fingers and massage the muscles around your eyes. Think of the pupil as a light harvester. And the iris really is a muscle that functions as a gatekeeper and helps you get a grip on what you see. What I see with my naked eye is an impressionistic painting. Close up, my eyes focus fine. No reading glasses needed here. I'm nearsighted, and when I take my glasses off, my world is soft without sharp edges. I laugh that maybe all impressionistic painters were simply nearsighted and painted the world they actually saw. Cezanne, a post-impressionist painter, was myopic and refused to wear corrective glasses, saying, take those vulgar things away. He developed cataracts and was also diabetic. As he grew older, he wondered whether the novelty of his painting might not come from the trouble with his eyes, or whether his whole life had been based on an accident of the body. So take care of your eyes. For now, you can't get new ones. But maybe in 2026, a team of Pittsburgh-based transplant surgeons hope to have whole eye transplants available by then. Their research is being backed by the Department of Defense. What a benefit this would be for combat soldiers. More optic nerve studies, advancements in surgical techniques, and new immunoimpressive drugs are needed first. This is Sarah Lytle, an aspiring aesthetic with WFHB and the Brown County Hour. Prize Pies and Lies by Gunther Flum. Brown County has its county fair, and I admit I'm always there to be a judge for man or beast because they say I cheat the least. Because to be a county judge, it means at times you've got to fudge for if an entry is your wife, one wrong vote can change your life. Since I ain't married, I don't care. That's why they claim I judge them fair. But there's one job I wanted much, yet it was one most wouldn't touch. For every judge who dares to try it often starts a county riot. Is all year long we have this feud on how this one gal bakes her food. And then some judge forgets and tries to call it fair when judging pies, as just one bite was all they ate to make their choice and seal their fate. You see, that gal will always win. She beats her friends and next to kin because the contest has a curse. They say the money in her purse seems to guarantee she buys third and second and first place prize. At least that's what some folks will claim is the reason for her fame. And so this year, it was my luck as other judges passed the buck that I became the one to judge the cakes and cookies, pies and fudge, a dream I'd had since in my youth. But now I face the ugly truth that in our county they told lies about what's in them winning pies. For even though her crust was thin, by my default she got her win. 
Since as the judge I dare not try her poison ivy, roadkill pie, I'm dumb, but I ain't stupid. WFHB has been an important part of my life for the last 30 years. Because a few friends clued me in, I started tuning in as soon as the station went on the air. Even so, my interest in non-commercial radio actually began long before that auspicious day. Like many of my contemporaries, music was a central part of my young life. But the music I wanted to hear didn't fit into the three-minute format on commercial radio, and with very few exceptions, wasn't included in the rotation. That changed when FM stations developed and began airing longer tunes and songs. It's funny to remember that many at the time questioned the legality of FM radio and sought to ban it from the airwaves. For a brief period of time in Indianapolis, there was a pirate radio station that broadcast illegally from undisclosed locations. Many of us became huge fans because for the first time, entire albums were played on the air, and their taste in musical selection was the same as ours. Suddenly, the potential for music by the people and for the people became a reality, and it forever changed my radio experience. After the operators of the station were arrested and their programming was shut down, I tried going back to commercial radio and there were only a few stations I could stand to listen to. Eventually, I grew tired of hearing the same dozen tunes repeated endlessly throughout the day, and thanks to the advent of car stereos, I almost quit listening to radio altogether. The truth is that as bad as the repetitive music was, the commercials were even worse. Obnoxious beyond belief, loud, demeaning, and repeated over and over. Everyone from my generation can remember the words, Come on down! Have we got a deal for you? About this time, I moved to Brown County. Then I had a three-hour commute to contend with every workday. This took place in the mid-70s, and one day, out of desperation, I turned the radio on and started messing with the dial. Sliding past all of the chewy, chewy, and yummy, yummy songs that I couldn't stand, my ear caught the sound of someone talking that actually sounded intelligent. This is when I discovered non-commercial public radio. To be sure, I still listened to my favorite music on the stereo at home and in the car, but all of that was my choosing, not the choice of paola radio stations, foisting the same drivel in perpetuity. Eventually, all of my radio listening was done on public broadcasting. This started a 20-year period where I listened to lots of classical music and mainstream jazz. I even listened to Saturday Opera for a few years until I eventually gave up on it. In all fairness, there are good operas, but subjectively speaking, good music is in the ear of the beholder, and as far as opera goes, I could go no farther. Just as I was beginning to wish for something else to listen to, WFHB began broadcasting. Suddenly, the world opened up, and the diversity I was hearing was literally music to my ears. It's true to say that with WFHB, the more I listened to the station, the more I liked it, and I was introduced to artists I had never heard of and music I couldn't hear anywhere else. Inclusion is very much a part of WFHB's lineup, and we have shows that represent many walks of life from our community. 
When the station applied for and received permission to add repeaters to the surrounding areas, we could hear WFHB almost anywhere in Brown County. This evolution also brought about the creation of the Brown County Hour, and 10 years ago I was invited to become a member of the team. Even though the vast majority of the participants are volunteers, we do have a small, underpaid staff that somehow managed to keep the rest of us on track. We also have the typical expenses that even a non-for-profit business has to pay, like the phone and electric bills. Moving from being a huge fan of the station to becoming a family member is an honor I will always appreciate. It also says a lot about who we are at WFHB. We are volunteer-powered community radio. And aside from volunteer opportunities, there is another way to become a supporting member of the family. Twice a year, we ask for your financial support. If you are listening to my voice during Fun Drive, you are exactly the person I'm talking to. Please, take a few minutes to make a pledge and help celebrate our 30th birthday by supporting the radio station you have grown to love and appreciate. Thank you for your support, and welcome to the family. This is Dave Seastrom. See you next time.
forest floor Will you take a different path Yeah, to know the aftermath And in the salt of darkness Of a moist and supple rain Yeah, if love overcomes you You're doing it You're doing it all over again Yeah, and again Thanks for tuning in to episode 133 of the Brown County Hour. This show was recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. and anytime online. Be sure to look for us on your favorite streaming services. The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe, now more than ever, the world is for everyone. This show was produced by Chuck Wills, Pam Rader, Rick Fettig, Vera Grubbs, Jim Lemon, and Dave Seastrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana. Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community. Visit us online at browncountyhour.com. The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.